Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. So, um, six, well, actually, I tried so hard to keep my in-laws safe during the pandemic. And um, during Christmas, when they were, when I was with my kids and they were away, they, uh, they both got covid and so uh, my father-in-law was really, really sick, and it was really an emotional time for me trying to take care of them, not in the house, and, and my kids just saw the weight uh, that was upon me and decided to encourage them to move to another uh, one caregiver and for me to move to College Station. So I have been wrestling through boxes, packing up a bigger house, moving, trying to stuff it into a smaller house, deciding what uh, I could get rid of and what needed to stay and just kind of waiting around boxes, not even being, being able to find my computer for, for a few days. So this is a wonderful time of rest for me, and I'm just so grateful to be here. Well, um, how many of you remember when uh, our daughter Sarah had her twins that were born 10 weeks early? It was a really traumatic time for us and stressful. They were about three pounds each and in the NICU here at Scott and White for for several weeks. And so, and it was tenuous. Uh, There was a time when Hudson was so uh, sensitive that we couldn't even touch him. He was in this, you know, little isolate and uh, anything caused him, any stimulation caused his heart to, to increase. So, then they became toddlers, and they were, you know, bouncing around. I remember one time when I kept them for a few days, and there were two, two of them, and they opened every drawer, every, they went into everything in my house. I was trying to tie up things so that they couldn't get into them. Well, now, believe it or not, those boys, those twins, are teenagers. They're 14, and this was on Easter. We went out to Gary's grave, and we had confetti eggs, and we threw confetti eggs on, on his grave, and Jackson, the oldest, and who I, I call him, um, a little a man in a little boy's body, he said, honey, I think this might be disrespectful. I don't know if I'm going to participate. <laughs> and I said, Jackson, I'll be the first one to throw on this grave. So he, he participated, but they're now going through puberty. And Jackson, about a year ago, his voice started getting lower and, uh, you know, he started changing. And so they were, last summer they were at a, a ball game, a baseball game, and one of their friends came up to him and he said, Jackson, he's known him since he was little, but they go to different schools and they've been, you know, homeschooling last year during the pandemic. He said, you've changed, you've got pimples and your voice is low. And he said, Hudson, are you doing that too? <laughs> so Hudson all behind. And then one day we were watching a movie and I, and, you know, they noticed a cute girl in the video, and I said, well, are there any cute girls in your class? And, and Hudson said, well, honey, they're all going through puberty, and they've got pimples, and they, <laughs> and they wear braces. <laughs> and Jackson said, yeah, they haven't bloomed yet. <laughs> well, puberty is a time when the, when the world, you know, goes, it changes, and your body goes, uh, seems to go wonky. It's when you begin developing and changing 
um, and you move from a kid to an adult. And I didn't realize this, but you know, during puberty, your body changes faster than any other time except for when you're a baby and you're growing. Your hormones, this growth spurt, emotions, pimples, it's a time when you can't trust your own body. I mean, uh, when Jackson talks, it, he squeaks sometimes. Your body's not cooperating. And you're, you feel awkward with the opposite sex. And I remember when Sarah went through puberty, she loved dolls and toys, and she went from toys to boys, like within a few weeks, it seemed like. Well, lately, I've been feeling like um, I've been going through puberty. It feels like our whole world is going through puberty, doesn't it? I've never lived alone, and now, uh, for the first time, Gary's dad and Pam lived with me until about, you know, about a month ago, and so I've had to live by myself for the first time in my life, and it's been strange and, and different, and um, I've had to grow up, and I don't like being grown up all the time. Gary was the grown up one in the house. He was the one that took care of things. I was the fun one. Let's have fun. Let's, let's, you know, let's, let's go on our next, our next adventure. Well, um, it seems like our whole world is going through puberty right now, doesn't it? It seems like everything's gone wonky. In fact, I was looking online for some shelves for my new house, and um, uh, well, this is one thing I found, some, some wonky canisters. <laughs> and then there's also some wonky shelves. I mean, really? For $1,200? I mean, what would you do with these shelves? <laughs> well, the world we live in seems to have gone wonky. There's COVID. There's death. There's political unrest. There's racial, emotional chaos. I mean, there's so much going on, not only here in Texas, in Temple or Belton, wherever you live, but really all over the world. I like what Lisa Turquist says in her book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. She describes us as living in a world between two gardens. You see, there was that garden, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve, uh, where God created them, they lived in perfect harmony with God and with each other. I mean, they didn't have to work hard. They you know, had, were able to eat of any tree in the whole garden, anyone except for that one tree. And God had that to protect them. I mean, there's sometimes that... You know, he has things for us that he wants to protect us. It's not to punish us and to hold out on us. It's to protect us. And yet, you know, they looked at all this, all these beautiful things that they could eat and, and enjoy, and they felt like God was holding out on them because they wanted, they were tempted to eat of that one tree because they had an enemy who tempted them. And when they ate of that fruit, everything changed. From that time until now, we live in a very broken world. It's a world where now there is sickness, there's death, there's uh, COVID, there's all kinds of pain, divorce, unfaithfulness, children who are, uh, who are wayward, 
I mean, so much pain, infertility, so many things that cause pain. As I looked out in this crowd today, I saw many of you weeping, tears, you know, just we're all going through hard things and uh, we're having to work through living in this wonky world. But you see, God's plan was that we would be created. We were created to worship him. We were created to be in perfect harmony with him and with each other. And so that's why this world seems strange. It seems like it's an odd place. And sometimes we feel like we don't fit in. I remember, as Sandy described, you know, my, you know, working through the painful things in my life, a lot of hard things in my life. And I remember at one point I, I felt like, Lord, I just feel like I'm too sensitive for this world because everything hurts me. As I was wor working through all of that, I was so sensitive and, you know, got my feelings hurt easily. And, but we're not meant for this world. We're meant for that original world. But we're living in between two gardens, and one day God's going to restore us to that perfect place again. It'll be new and even better. So how do we live in the meantime? How do we live in this wonky world? And I want to know, um, what are we going to do when the trials come our way? And I don't say if they come our way, because believe me or not, they are going to come. One way or another, it may be, you know, all different things that we're going through. And I'm going to start out right now by saying that, okay, I've had great losses. I don't want you to, to, to compare your losses to mine, because your losses are losses, and pain is pain. And I don't want you to feel like, oh, no, what if my husband dies? Because Beth's speaking about this, that, you know, start being afraid of something that's going to happen. I mean, you will have pain in life, but it, it's going to be different from mine. And it doesn't matter what it is, what you're facing. It's, it's important. It's important to God. It's important to you. And it's important to me. We're all hurting. And there's three ways that we can res respond in pain. Um, when those trials come, we can either get mad at God, and that's what a lot of people do. I, I knew of a man in the town that, where I grew up who, uh, one Sunday, when his whole family was at church, their house burned down. And so, as a result of that, he got mad at God, and he never wanted to go back to church. So instead of thanking God that they were all safe and no one was hurt, he was angry and said, I lost all this material stuff and I don't trust you, I'm mad at you, angry, and never went back to church. We've all known people who have gotten mad at God. And if I'm honest, I would say that, you know, sometimes I felt like getting, on a, getting angry with God. In fact, when I was walking through those hard days, you know, working through my childhood trauma, I remember one day feeling like, and really saying, I can really remember saying, God, you hate me and I guess what? I hate you more. I was so angry. But then I got really afraid that it was going to, like, strike me. <laughs> and so I just sort of had to let that go. <laughs> and I remember that, oh, yes, you are God. 
Um, in my book, Return to Joy, one of the things I encourage us to remember is that, that um, remember who your enemy is. When we're going through those hard times, remember that it's not God who is our enemy. But we do have an enemy. We have Satan who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to uh, cause us to be anxious and stressed out. In fact, last week when I was in College Station, I didn't have my Wi-Fi on yet, and I'm trying to work, getting ready to get back to this talk. I'd written half of it, and so that night I'd put all the boxes away and sat down and opened my computer, and my word, Microsoft said that I needed to reactivate, and I couldn't do that without being on Wi-Fi. So I started to write it out, and I thought, no, that's not going to work. But I decided, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to get upset about this, or just say, okay, God, you've got another plan. And Satan, you want to keep me from being able to give this talk. You want to keep me from being able to be excited about this. And so I gave it over to him and, and decided to, okay, tomorrow I'll work on it. And he gave it to me, and it came, and it was so exciting for me. In fact, I think I wrote this talk for me, not you, <laughs> because it just refreshed me. Well, First Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to do, devour. So ladies, when you are tempted to get upset with God, remember that he is not your enemy. But you do have an enemy, and you can get mad at Satan and just, you know, to say, I'm going to crush you under my feet. And you can just, you know, just rant and rave at Satan, but not at God. Because God loves you, and he is for you, and he is not your enemy. I like the way Lisa Turquist describes Satan. She says, the enemy comes in like a, as a whisper. He lingers like a gentle breeze and builds a storm you don't even see coming. But eventually, his insatiable appetite to destroy will unleash the tornado of destruction he planned all along. He doesn't whisper to our disappointed places to coddle us. He wants to crush us. That's so true. He is our enemy, not God. So even though we shouldn't be surprised by his treacherous attacks, we are. We think that, you know, as a believer, you know, when we become a Christian and we're going to walk with Christ, we're not going to have these hard times. We're going to, life is going to be smooth. I'm going to raise my kids in a different way than I was raised, and they're never going to rebel. <laughs> but we have an enemy, and so we need to be aware of that. We need to be, you know, just be ready to battle him and not allow him to get us under a stronghold. And in my book, Return to Joy, I have a chapter on warfare, how to fight against those lies, how to fight against him and not fall for his stronghold. Well, when we're going through a trial, uh, the most natural thing to do, or any kind of pain, is you know we pull away from it. So when you're next to a fire and it's and it's burning, you you, you know you want to get away from it. I remember when Sarah was a little girl and um, we were I was cooking and I had the stove the the pot on the stove and I hadn't put anything in it yet, but I turned it on. I'm getting ready to cook something. She was sitting by me and I said don't touch that, it's hot. 
And she said, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, that's what we do. We, we pull away from pain. We, we um, sometimes get ourselves into something that we shouldn't. So the second response to uh, painful things when trials come our way is that we become flat and emotionless. We just kind of pull away. And this is um, when we feel dead inside. I've had to fight against this response during the pandemic. Um, I had to be strong for Gary's dad, for um, my kids after Gary passed away, this pandemic hit. I couldn't go to church. I couldn't be with my friends. I mean, my life came to this, and it was a busy life. I had things on my calendar every day, going to prison to speak and, and to the women, enjoying that ministry, having a Bible study in my home, and having lunches and trips, and seeing my grandkids, and all of a sudden it came to a screeching halt, just like all of yours did. And um, my kids were grieving, my father-in-law was grieving, my sweet mother-in-law, Pam, she was just an emotional wreck. And I was trying to hold everyone up, and I was sinking, uh, and I became emotionally flat because I didn't want to get mad at God. I knew that that's not what he wanted. Um, and so I just sort of protected my heart. And when that happens, I mean, this is my, 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 the, what I usually do, is I try to protect myself, and my heart becomes hardened, and I don't really feel pain, but I also don't have a deep intimacy with God because my heart is, is hardened. So many of us have experienced that. Um, Proverbs 28:14 says, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Isn't that so true? And we think, you know, we think, well, you know, this is a, you know, okay place to be. I'm not really in deep sin, but it, it's, it's trouble because when we're not connected to God and deeply connected to God and others, we become very isolated and we begin listening to lies. We start feeling lonely and like we don't fit in and afraid. So when my heart is hardened, um, I feel emotionless, and basically, I don't really care what happens. Um, and I find it difficult, if not impossible, to worship him and to feel close to him. So, so there's a saying that um, it's being in the doldrums. It's, it means when you're depressed, you're dull and listless. And a lot of us have felt that way in the pandemic, haven't we? Just kind of lost and listless. Well, this saying comes from, uh, it's a nautical term, and it's known to sailors all around the world, and it refers to this area near the equator where the winds sort of die out, and when a ship is there, it, it gets stuck, and it can't go on until a warm breeze comes and moves it on. And so that's what being in the doldrums is. So how do we get out of the doldrums? 
For me, it's worship. Even though it's usually the last thing that I feel like doing when I'm lamenting, when I'm in deep grief, when I surrender my will to the Holy One, the Holy Spirit comes and breathes his breath on me that pushes me out of the doldrums and back into the place where God wants me to be. Well, this leads us to the third response in grief, which is pressing into the Lord for comfort. In my book, uh, Return to Joy, I describe worship as the bridge between heaven and earth. Worship is the place where we can enter into the very presence of the Holy One. And we, you know, we think of worship as you know, those first those songs that we sing in an event like this or at church, but God desires us to have personal worship as well as that corporate worship. And oftentimes, we neglect that personal worship because we don't realize how important it is to him. We don't realize what a gift it is to us from him because that is the place where we can actually really go into his presence and find so many wonderful things. There's, there's so many wonderful things that we can find in his presence. I mean, the word of God tells us lots, and I just chose a few to kind of talk to you about. Um, some, one of the benefits uh, is found in Psalm 23.4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, I know that all of you know that God is with you. You know that in your mind, but you may be kind of like Sarah when she was little, and I, she was afraid, you know, in her room at night, so I told her, Sarah, God is always with you, and, you know, he's, he's going to take care of you. And so one time she, when she was praying, she said, Dear Dear God, thank you that you're always with me, even though you're not really here. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how we feel, isn't it? It's like when, um, remember the disciples that after, right after Jesus died, and you know, everybody's kind of scattering, and those disciples were walking to Emmaus, they were on the road to Emmaus, and, and Jesus comes and he appears to them, but they don't recognize that it's him. But when they do, when their eyes are enlightened, and they realize who it is. They are changed. They run back to the place of danger that they just left. They are willing to risk their lives because they know that Jesus has been with them. And that's what happens for us when we recognize that the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is with me. And it changes your life. It makes you realize that your life is greater, far greater, and you ever realize because someone, this God, is with you. The very presence of the sovereign God is with you. And that will change your life. Those two words, with me, changes you. It is the defining way to get through these trials because you are not alone. And he will comfort you. Uh, just recently after uh, Pam and Daddy left, I started eating all the meals alone. I was planning to move and, and doing some, changing some furniture, like painting and you know, doing lots of things so I would be out 
late at night, uh, getting payment loans, so from Facebook Marketplace, and then we doing it, and uh, one day I started thinking, no, I just I was sitting at <laughs> I gave and Sarah and Bill took the bar the our stools at in the house, so I was sitting at the kids' little table eating my whatever it was, I was eating my peanut butter sandwich and I was thinking, Well gosh, you know, now I eat all my meals alone. Nobody really cares when I come and go. And I started feeling abundant. I started feeling like, you know, this is what my life is gonna be like now. But uh, Gary's gone and, you know, I had, even though it was hard having his dad there, still I had people in the house with me. And um, God just spoke to my heart and he said, you know, I am with you. I'm eating meals with you. And I care if you come and go. I care if you're out late and um, you know, driving back from Austin in the middle of the night, not in the middle of the night, but at 10 o'clock. <laughs> God is with me, and that gave me comfort, because knowing that I have someone stronger and more powerful and far more than I can even imagine with me, that gives me comfort and helps me not to be afraid, not to feel lonely. It changes the way I live my life. Well, there's another um, thing that God, that we find in the presence of God, and that is um, found in Exodus 34:14. He says, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." What does rest look like for you? I mean, my life is so busy. Hardly ever find time to rest. I'm just one of those busy people that always has some kind of project going. Or, and I think a lot of it right now is that I don't want to be sad, and so I keep myself busy. I go from one project to another, to another, and and I love creating things and and just joining with God in creation. And that is part of worship for me, is to see Him use my gifts to create something beautiful. And that's a way that I worship. But um, it's hard for me to rest. My human nature is to ruminate on bad things and become agitated and restless. So an example of this is um, with all those boxes. You know, I got there. I mean, you can hardly walk through my house because there were so many boxes. And so I decided that first morning I'm not going to allow myself to become restless and agitated. I'm going to trust you, Lord, that you brought me here, and I'm going to take one box at a time and just trust you to be with me in this. And then, you know, and he used that to just calm my heart. And so that's what we need to do. We've got to think about, you know, what we're anxious about. What are you anxious about right now? What are you going through? Be honest with God about it, but do it respectfully. You know, God desires intimacy. You might keep a prayer journal. Uh, I love what uh, Amy had us to do this morning, to write that prayer out. And just, you know, just like in the Psalms, David usually, or the psalmist, they usually begin with, you know, this prayer.
swim that they're going through. Like, you know, God, you know, this horrible thing is happening. And then in the end, they remember who God is. And that changes their, the way that they see their, their, um, what they're going through. It doesn't change their circumstance. It changes the way they view it. And this is true for us, too. So when you're in that place of anxiousness, you know, just, just say, okay, God, this is what I'm going through, but I'm going to worship you in the midst of it. I'm going to see that you're there to help me, that you love me, and you're intimately acquainted with me, and you're not surprised by this, and you comfort me, and you give me rest, and that will stop that, you know, that pounding heart and the anxiousness because you know that he's with you in the midst of it. Well, God's word promises mercy and grace. So Hebrews 4.26, we see it says, let them, let us therefore then draw, <laughs> let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, I know that most of you, maybe not all, but probably 99% of you believe the, that the Word of God is true. And you believe that this verse is true. But are you living it? Are you walking it out and, and seeing it lived out in your life so that you experience His mercy and grace helping you in that time of need? He has not abandoned you. He has not left you as orphans. He promises to give you mercy. Mercy is, is understanding what you're going through. Grace is something that we don't deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve because he loves us so much. He desires intimacy with him. And this is the place where we will find hope and courage in whatever we're going through. And it is in worship, in his presence, that we find these things. Sometimes this, oftentimes this, in order to experience that mercy and grace, it, it requires lamenting. It requires grieving. Really crying out to the Lord. Tears are healing, ladies. Tears are a gift from God. In fact, uh, their composition is different from a tear like when you get something in your eye. I mean, God has given us tears to, to grieve. Jesus grieved. When you think about Jesus, you know, in the garden, he was grieving. He was crying out and asking God, you know, for, you know, if, it, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He was grieving. So grieving is a good thing. It's healing. It's what God desires for us to be honest and to really lament from him. And, and, and there have been many, many times that I've, I mean, every day of my life since, since Gary was going through treatment, I've begged God at times, Lord, give me strength. Give me your mercy. Give me your grace to help me through this. Please help me. I beg him, please, please help me to get, the, get through this. And it's getting my eyes off of myself where I feel like I've got to do it by myself and onto him 
and receiving and, and crying out to him and then receiving his mercy and his grace, filling him with me, worshiping and give him, giving him um, our burdens, laying them down before him. In fact, oftentimes when I'm worshiping in pain, I, I get on my knees and I, in my mind, I see myself as coming into his throne and, and just like when Mary, um, she cried tears on the feet of Jesus, I, I just cry my tears out like I'm at his feet and just worshiping him. And tears are a holy, holy form of worship. You know, we think that worship is just singing songs, but it's, there's so much more. Worship is living your life out, you know, for his glory. It's, it's just day to day, you know, saying, Lord, thank you for this beautiful sunset. You are great. You are mighty. You, are, you, create, you created a beautiful uh, world for us to enjoy. It's walking with him, you know, daily and saying, help me. <laughs> Begging him to help me, you know, help me. Give me your, your, your peace. Give me your strength. And then another thing that we see from um, being in the presence of God is the Lord, this is from Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. He knows, he knows, Lord, ladies, that we're going to feel broken at times because we live in a broken world. We are broken women, broken people living in a very broken world. And it seems like it's getting more and more broken every day, doesn't it? With all that's going on. It feels like nothing more bad can happen. God, his word promises that he's going to restore all that's been lost. And so as we're broken and crying out to him and surrendering, you know, brokenness is really surrendering my will to yours. And a lot of people asked, you know, when, in fact, my daughter Sarah asked, Mom, we're, we're begging, we're crying out to God. Why isn't he answering our prayers about Gary's, you know, being healed on earth? And I said, Sarah, I mean, Jesus cried out to his father and he said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. And God, God didn't answer his prayer in the way that he was, he didn't change, he didn't have a different cup for him. Sometimes, God's, his plan for us is not what we want, it's not what we're planning, it's not what we'd long for or dream for, but when we surrender our dreams to him, he comes in and, you know, it was never ours in the beginning. In fact, um, when Gary was dying, uh, it, was, it was just this amazing time. He was in the hospital and it was so sweet because the four of us, Gary and me and Sarah and Daniel, we, we were together. Daniel took off work, Sarah left, and uh, we were together just the four, just like we'd been years, for years and years. And the kids sang those old praise songs to him and, you know, it's just a sweet time, and um, 
then that last day he was hot. His his pulse was was strong, and they, the nurses had told us that, and the doctor said that he would probably get cold, and you know his his pulse would get lower and lower, and that he would just you know slowly take his last breath. Well, that day we didn't think he was gonna was gonna die, and um, the day before on Sunday, the staff had asked to come see him, the TBC staff, and. They couldn't, that day was, it was just a bad day, and so we said, why don't you come on Monday? So that morning we called, and they said, okay, we'll come around 5 o'clock. And we said, well, good, that's great. So they came in, and um, most of the staff and their wives, and Gary's dad and sisters were there, and all of us, and we were singing worship songs. And as we were singing and praying, I heard the Spirit of God say to me, Bev, do you trust me? And I said, I think I do. <laughs> and he said, if you trust me, I want you to surrender Gary to me because he was never yours to begin with. And so um, in that holy form of worship, I said, okay, God. I give him to you. He was never mine anyway in the beginning, you know. And I prayed it out loud for all of us to surrender him. And within five minutes, he took one breath. And his eye was holding his hand. And it, um, it was still hot, hot with fever. And Daniel was on the other side. And he, had his, he was checking his pulse. And he said, I think he's going to breathe again because his pulse is still strong. But he just... He went to heaven, and, you know, we surrendered him as hard as it was, but knowing that in that crushing, in that, uh, like that song says, and I sang that song over and over during that time, in the crushing, in the pressing, God was making something new. So recently I've asked God, you know, I said, Lord, you have promised to restore all that was lost. And when I used to speak about um, my childhood sexual abuse, I r realized that God had restored my innocence. And so I was praying one day as I was driving to college station. I said, Lord, show me what you're restoring because, you know, you can't bring Gary back. I mean, that's what we lost. So show me what you're restoring. And that next day, he just showed me that our family has always been close but now we have this even sweeter fellowship. It's like we have walked through this tragedy together and it's just bonded our hearts in such a, a deeper way so that we are like, you know, this, this like tough bond that can't be broken. So God is just showing me that he is restoring things that were lost and he's doing a new thing in my life. And he wants to do that for you. Well, uh, a good friend of mine, and some of you know, Lynn Kendrick used to, she used to teach here at TBC with women's ministry. Her husband, during the pandemic, he got COVID and he had some really bad blood clots and almost died. But he made it through that as a result of the blood clots, he's had to have all the toes amputated on both feet. He almost had to have his whole legs, both legs amputated and hands. I mean, he was 
really, really sick for days in, in the ICU. So uh, she described to me how after that amputation, it was so painful for them to um, to clean his wound and to you know take care of that wound that he had to have morphine because it was so painful. And I thought about that. And I thought about how when we have a loss, in the beginning it's so painful that we just, you know, it's, that we need morphine. We need something to help us get through that painful time. And the Lord, you know, he provides that comfort. But then even after that, you know, he, Mike now is at home and he's going to have to learn how to walk again or how to just get around in life again. And he will develop a new normal, but he'll always miss his toes and his old life. But he will have a new normal and he'll be, you know, happy and, you know, enjoy his family and be grateful that he's alive, but he'll always miss that. And so that's true for us in our losses. We surrender them to the Lord um, we have to have more fame in the beginning and then time we, we go into a new normal we'll always miss that that whatever we you know the dream that we gave up but we will have a new normal and the Lord will be with us and he'll help us in it and we can be grateful that he's with us and, and so as we lay our burdens down before him in worship. Now I talk about in my book worshiping 20 minutes each day and to be honest with you I did that in the past right now I don't do that but I worship all day long I just have this you know it's like in my mind you know when I'm just doing something I'm like Lord I thank you you're great you're mighty you're just amazing me you're getting me through this and then I you know cry out to him it's just an it's just like a an all day kind of process as as I walk. I I surrender, you know, like in this new house. It's not as nice as my old one, it's much smaller. And so I surrender that to the Lord. And that's a form of worship. You know, it's just saying, God, you've given me this. It's you know, I don't like it as much, but I surrender that to you. I surrender this and I trust you. And that's a form of worship. He wants us to worship him with our lips and with our lives, with our bodies. So what um, are you lamenting right now? I mean, we had a chance this morning to think about that, and I've seen a lot of tears. And in my own group, I heard you know, some painful things. And like I said, your pain may be different from my pain, but it's it's still pain. It's still intense. And God cares about it. And what, which of these three responses to trials have you chosen to follow? Are you getting mad at God? And pulling away from Him? Or are you just kind of flat and dead and not, not really feeling anything? Or are you drawing near to him and going closer to him in the midst of it? And letting those trials be something sweet, 
something that is um, drawing you into his heart in a way that allows you to feel his comfort in a way that you never have before. It's, it's something that can, that can draw us so close to him in this intimacy that we um, are living our lives in two dimensions. You know, in the physical, but also the eternal. Always aware that he is with me and he's helping me through whatever I'm facing, no matter how hard. He longs for your, your heart. He doesn't just want your service, ladies. He wants your heart, your, your heart to just be so in love and immersed with him dependent with him so that he is your source of strength so that he is your hope and he is your joy and you can find that in worship and as a result of my life of worship I am now learning to, to this is a Charles Spurgeon quote that when I first read it I thought I'm not there yet but I'm learning to kiss the wave that drives me against the rock of ages. It's, it's driving me not against, but towards the rock of ages. These waves that I'm going through are driving me towards him because in the midst of them, I am worshiping him. I am falling at my feet. I am crying out. I am weeping tears and lamenting. I am surrendering my life to him. And I am finding his comfort. And then lastly, I love this saying from Kisses from Katie, who, uh, I don't know if you've read that book, it was so good. It's about a young woman who went to Africa and has adopted all these girls. And she says, and suddenly the hard road becomes not a burden, but a place of great honor, a place of partnership and intimacy with him. That is my prayer for you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you that even though I was wrestling with you this week about doing this message, thinking, well, maybe I could sick or something. I can have an excuse to not give it. But, Lord, in um, the message, as I worked through it, you showed me your heart. And you showed me that this is one of the most important messages that I have to give. Lord, and I pray that for these women that they would not just hear these words, Lord, but that you, Holy Spirit, would use it to penetrate their hearts, that you would change their lives, and that your word would become real to them and not just words on a page. Lord, help them to um, just find rest in you. Help them to learn what it means to worship in their pain and to um, just to glorify you. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.